Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, March 27th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and the final four is set. It is North Carolina, Oregon, Gonzaga, and South Carolina. So this isn't what any of us had projected a couple of weeks ago, is it, Norlander? I believe this is the first time ever that I haven't gotten one Final Four team correct. I had Duke, Arizona, Kansas, and UCLA. And I know I'm not alone. A lot of people went 0 for 4. Plenty of people got uh, got in there because they obviously would have gone with one seeds in Gonzaga and Carolina. But the tournament can be just – it just toss you a bunch of variables, man. Unpredictable. I actually really like this Final Four GP. Um, you got – the the new blood and the blue blood. I mean, Oregon hasn't been there but once, and <laughs> for all intents and purposes, it's like the first time Oregon's ever been there because they went in '39. You know, geez, one percent of the planet is alive uh, from when you know their first appearance and now. And then obviously South Carolina getting there. Crazily enough, they get there, and the last tournament win for that program coming into this thing was 44 years ago. Then they went four in a row. Just an awesome story. I mean, really, just that's just incredible. Um, and then Gonzaga, I, I basically wrote on on Saturday GP like they have nothing left to prove, plenty left to achieve. That's the uh, the final nail there. So I thought it was um, a really fun, interesting weekend. So let's let's get into it. Where do you want to start? Yeah. So uh, with uh, sort of what I wrote last night is when when Gonzaga, a school from the West Coast Conference that folks have forever insisted would never make a Final Four, actually making the Final Four is one of the least surprising developments of the Final Four, you've got a surprising Final Four. Like when Gonzaga's like, oh yeah, I, that's that's one of the things that makes sense about this Final Four. Uh, you know, if you look at the AP poll that was published uh, the day after Selection Sunday, uh, Gonzaga, North Carolina, and Oregon were second, sixth, and ninth in the most recent AP poll. So from that perspective, like nothing crazy there, uh, but... You know, Oregon lost Chris Boucher and had to play Kansas in Kansas City. Nobody really uh, thought that they would get past Kansas in Kansas City uh, without Chris Boucher. So that makes that surprising. Not only did they beat Kansas, they they, they handled Kansas pretty easily uh, from start to finish. And then the South Carolina thing's just bonkers. I mean, uh, they were unranked in the preseason, uh, didn't get a single vote in the AP poll. Unranked before the NCAA tournament started, didn't get a single vote in the AP poll. Three and six in the nine games before the NCAA tournament started, and then they just get rolling. You know, obviously knock off Duke in the round of 32, use that uh, to propel them to the Sweet 16. And uh, you know, I don't think they had to beat a giant to to get to the Final Four once they were in New York. But either way, you know, you can only beat the people that are in front of you. And they, uh, you know, they they won two games impressively. I mean, handled Baylor easily, uh, knocked out Florida coming from behind in the second half, and. Uh, the idea that that South Carolina, I think I've mentioned this on a on a recent podcast after they beat Duke, but when Frank took that job, I had an SEC coach text me and say, "Why would he do this? I know he he and the athletic director at Kansas State don't get along, but like South Carolina, it's impossible. Why would he go there?" And uh, he's turned it into a Final Four team. Uh, didn't have the best regular season, obviously. That's why they were a seven seed. But you know, if, this is true. I tweeted this yesterday. Uh, Frank Martin is the only coach in the past 29 years to take Kansas State to the Elite Eight, and he's the only coach to take South Carolina to the Final Four ever. That's pretty remarkable. Hey, yeah, uh, give me a, give me a few, I guess, to uh, to just talk about that aspect of this, uh, just the South Carolina, given that I was there. Um, 
first off, the, the, the greatness of this happening has helped alleviate the sting of my idiocy. I go into the press room at halftime of that game looking for a damn chocolate chip cookie. The writers out there know what I'm talking about, those MSG chocolate chip cookies. And because of this, I, by a factor of 15 to 30 seconds, I miss walking right with slash past Paul McCartney. Like, I, 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 I'm not over this, GP. I come back out, Andy Katz, Nicole Auerbach, they're, they're on their phones, eager to tweet, they're all giddy. I'm like, what's up, guys? They're like, did you see that? I was like, no, what are we talking about? Paul McCartney just walked by. Do we know why McCartney was there? No idea why he was there. Not even remotely. No, I have no idea. I don't know if he's got a show. Yeah, because perhaps I, come, I think he coming lives up and I, he was rehearsing. I yeah, I think he lives in L.A. Like, I don't even think he lives in New York. I have no idea. Now, I talked. I had listen. I had a nice conversation with Darius Rucker before the game. He had tremendous seats. First row brought his daughter. He is, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish got big because, you know, he attended South Carolina. They, they, Hootie's rise was built from the college scene out of South Carolina, very similarly to how Dave Matthews Band in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia uh, got a big rise in the 90s. And he has always been a massive, massive Gamecocks fan and a Gamecocks supporter. Um, so I actually think I'm going to have a little uh, interview with Hootie in Phoenix. So that was that was cool. And I loved having a nice little chat with Darius, but missing out on McCartney, it's just one of those things where like, I'm like, all right, this guy is really one of the most five most influential musical people in my entire life. And I was maybe 20 feet from him separated by the, the press area has like a bunch of black curtains that separate. So like, I, I, I didn't even see it. I wasn't even aware. So I just, this could be a regret for the rest of my life. I just had to get that out there. And I don't. I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself because like, oh, I got to go get a cookie. And I was like rushing to do it. Oh, I'm so angry, GP. No, I mean, like, yeah, how often are you in the room with a beetle for crying out loud, you know? Exactly. And then, oh, and the thing that made it worse was um, over the next like seven, eight minutes, a number of people had seen him and they were like, did you see Paul? And by the last one, good Ralph Russo, just an awesome guy, football AP reporter, but does, does a hoop stuff every March. He comes up to me and it looks like he's about to say, like, did you see him? I was like, no, Ralph, I didn't see him. I didn't. And he starts cracking up because he's like, I didn't see him either, man. But I, I know I know you got to be frustrated. But it was just like within a, a within a time span of like 10 minutes, everyone kept asking me. And it was just driving me nuts. Um, as for the game, um, listen, I, I it was it was a, it was a really, really good game. And I want to say that the garden for having the least anticipated regional weekend GP, uh, it delivered. You know, since we've uh, last podcasted, we got the Chris Chioza buzzer beater. That happened well after midnight. I didn't leave MSG till quarter to four that night. It was probably a top top ten game I've ever covered in person. Um, Sixteen to four swings and runs. Uh, I was convinced Wisconsin was going to win in overtime because when they had gotten it and Showalter had made the three, and I actually didn't even have a good look because. Where I was sitting on press row, Nigel Hayes was blocking my view entirely. I didn't even know if it was a two or a three, um, and he just kind of scooped down and hits it. I thought Wisconsin absolutely had the game in the bag at that point, uh, and then obviously just a couple missed free throws, and then Chioza just he to me the 
the visual of, of Chioza's play is an all-timer just because he's – It's again, this is why I love the fact that you cannot advance the ball after a timeout in college basketball because you get these awesome plays. You get Ayas Edney and you get Chris Chioza and you get Chris Jenkins. Like you're just running up the floor and he almost just as if he just smacks into a wall or was tripped over a rock and just throws it up and and – like Luke May's play was awesome. In the end of that Kentucky UNC game, we'll get to that GP. But Chioza was do or die, and it was truly in the air, true buzzer beater. So the ball goes up. Florida is down by two. You miss it, you're done. You make it, and you can stay alive. And it goes in. It was um, just really amazing because I thought Wisconsin was going to win that game. And then for South Carolina to be down by seven, make another strong second half showing, um, and for Frank Martin to have done this, just the East – you know, it delivered. It, it was it was a fantastic watch. Now I know Carolina just romped Baylor, but two of the three games were really really good. And you said it. I mean, for for when I remember when Frank took the job, and people were talking about how he didn't get along with his athletic director. It was like the worst kept secret in college basketball and all that. And that's fine. But there definitely was. And I almost wrote about this, but I I'm I'm happy I went the way I did it with what I wrote on uh, Sunday night. And I wanted to write more about Frank and his path because his path is not. No one has done what Frank Martin has done ever in the coaching profession. Just the road he has traveled and where he started and, and all of that. Um, so I ignored a lot of like him taking the job, and you'll probably hear a lot about and read a lot about that at the Final Four this week. But it was very much like, why the hell is Frank Martin going to South Carolina? That's a nothing program. They never win. He had to go into K-State. Even if he hated his athletic director, couldn't he have just waited one more year? Maybe a better job would have opened up. But he had to get out of there. And it's I think some people might not totally grasp or embrace the enormity of this accomplishment, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you getting South Carolina to the final four is more impressive than Mark few getting Gonzaga to the final four. And that's totally majorly impressive as well. But Gonzaga has developed this for like 20 years. Now, if, if Gonzaga had made the final four in 99, when they got close, that would have been like an all timer, but like Gonzaga has been building toward this and building toward this and building toward this. South Carolina has been nothing forever. They, they've had Devin Downey, and they've had Alex English, and now they've had some Darius Thornwell, and that's about it. And shout out to Devin Downey. So for for Frank to do this, it's outrageous. Like it, the, he is already the all-time leader in NCAA tournament wins at that program. Like they had not won a game since '73. It's I just don't don't think you can overstate his story and what Carolina has done. And that's why I think it's an awesome Final Four, just because no one could have possibly foreseen this, especially because. We mock South Carolina for being underseeded. No one thought they should have been a seven. Then they get through Duke, and it's like, okay, they they got to play in South Carolina GP, and then in New York. I mean, they just look they look fantastic. It's it's terrific story. Can't write write more about it uh, when we get to Phoenix. I'm struggling with this Cinderius Stormwell thing because he has been awesome, and I feel like people are starting to forget about Devin Downey a little bit. <laughs> Thornwell officially passed Devin down in the all-time scoring list God, on Sunday, by the way. That's, yes. that's, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> Are you sure? Double-check that. <laughs> I am. And, oh, yeah, real quick. Oh, and then I've, I'm glad we're on this because one, Rob Doster texts me on Friday and says, yo, I think Devin Downey's in the building. I later found out the guy that he thought was Devin Downey was not Devin Downey. So Just another, um, just, the- just another short black guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I did some I did some grunt work and I, I I'm pretty certain Devin Downey was not in the building. Now it's to be determined if Devin is going to Phoenix because um, it's not known if he's if he's still playing if the schedule is going to allow for it. But I you know he he works out with the team like he lives in in South Carolina. Um, 
So if he goes, like, I've already tried to set the wheels in motion here, and this is not a tease. Like, this is a real thing. Like, if Devin Downey is in Phoenix, we are going to do a podcast with him. In person, I'm trying to make this happen. Just stay tuned for more details. we got to figure all that out. But this, GP, this is insane. Like, I just, I cannot believe that of all teams and of all people, last year we start this whole Devin Downey thing. South Carolina hasn't been good in eons. And, like, now they're in the freaking final. It's, it, it's cosmic. It's totally meant to be. And it's still surreal. I mean, I had people at the Garden bringing shout-out to Devin Downey, shout-out to Chester, South Carolina signs. I met him at halftime. <laughs> shout-out I mean, to Ch- I, I hate that Terry Teagle's alma mater had to go down. But, like, if that's the way it had to go, that's the way it had to go. De- like, shouts to Devin Downey and shouts to Chester, South Carolina. I saw you tweet the picture um, of, uh, I guess it was a couple, and they had Chester, South Carolina signs and Devin Downey signs. And we really got to get – like, one of the things I'm going to do, like, in this offseason, I'm going to – I got a t-shirt designer and uh, I'm going to design t-shirts. I'm going to become a t-shirt designer and uh, I'm going to get them all. I'm going to make Devin Downey shirts. I, do you have to have, some, do you have to, is there some sort of copyright thing about, can I put Devin Downey's name on a t-shirt? Is that illegal? No, I'm pretty sure you can do that. Um, if anything, I'm can I put Devin Downey's name on my body. That's the question. If I get my first ever tattoo, should it be a Devin Downey tattoo? I'm thinking maybe. Left cheek or right, though? Or, or are you going to go, like, um, over the right shoulder? Don't go ankle. I, like, I'm, yeah. I never got a tattoo. Did you ever get a tattoo? No, it's not my thing. I, I'm not. I'm totally fine being ink-free. It's never, it's never been my thing. My brother got, my brother has basically a sleeve, and uh, he regrets it. He had, because what will happen sometimes is, like, you know, you're rebellious. He got him when he was, like, late teens, early 20s. That's the problem. And, and now, like, he's, he's almost 30. No, he is 30. And uh, he likes one or two of them, but he's like, ah, I just wish I didn't have all these. I, I, I totally regret it. So I've never had any. That's what I was. That's what I was always concerned about. I was smart enough to recognize that the things you like when you're 18 aren't the things you like when you're 28 or 38. And so I, I was always fearful that, like, if I get a tattoo and I think it's the coolest thing in the world now, will it be the most ridiculous thing in the world when I'm when I'm 40 years old? Like, imagine if when I was 18 years old, I got a nine inch nails tattoo. Like, it'd be kind of ridiculous, right? Like, that's the type of thing I would, like, that. that's something I was into when I was 18 years old. But, like, if I was walking around with a with an NIN on my arm right now, I mean, it'd be, like, it'd be, I'd be embarrassed of that, probably. I love Trent Reznor, but, like, I can't have a Nine Inch Nails tattoo. I figured out that I was almost going to, I may have told you this before, I was going to get a tattoo one time, and I was trying to think, okay, what are the things I like now that I'm fairly confident I will also like when I'm older? And so I was going to get a tattoo of John Lennon, holding a Mexi melt in one hand okay. and a Dr. Pepper in the other. Cause I felt like those were three things that I like then that I would like forever. And it's true. Even at this age, I still love John Lennon, Mexi melts and Dr. Oh, Pepper. Gosh. I, I, I can't deny that. Um, and it would, it would be a one of a kind GP. It, it would certainly be, but to that point, I feel like, I feel like um, at the age of 40, I love Devin Downey. I feel like at the age of 60, I'm still going to love Devin Downey. Shouts to Devin. Uh, uh, without a doubt, yeah. We gotta if we if without it, a doubt. Now the one thing that's not yet, uh, the one thing that's not yet known, GP is like, I know Devin Downey knows about this thing because I, I just, just I can't help but believe that someone has really informed him. Um, we just don't know if he's like if he's cool with it or like or what's going on here. Like I I don't know, but <laughs> I was so ready to introduce myself and get a selfie if he was in the building, but alas, he was not. No, people have told me they've yelled it like they've seen him. 
like at games or maybe like a SEC tournament, he was honored or something. And they would yell, like, shout out to Devin Dow. They would yell from the stand. He would, like, look at him and, like, point, you know, like he was <laughs> probably startled, but uh, but at least acknowledged. Like, I think at this point it would be impossible for him to, to not realize he is uh, he's the star of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. So if we see him in Phoenix, um, if he's in Phoenix, we're going to find him. It's not even like if we bump into him. Like we will, it'll be a goal of ours to find. It's him. an active manhunt. Yeah, that's yeah, basically. It'll be a manhunt in an, in an endearing way, but yes. Yeah, I mean, we ain't trying to get a, a stalking charge, but like we we'll, we'll risk it. You know, we'll risk a stalking charge to find uh, Devin Downey. You mentioned uh, earlier that Luke May's shot was uh, awesome, and it was. I mean, it's sort of like the 2017 version of Christian Leitner. In fact, Christian Leitner tweeted about it this morning. Uh, another buzzer beater uh, to lift. Uh, a team to a win over uh, Kentucky in the NCAA uh, tournament. Just a really fun game uh, at FedEx Forum in Memphis. And now Roy Williams is going to the Final Four for the ninth time. I tweeted this yesterday. I, I It's something I was aware of because I had looked it up before when I was writing about Roy. I'm not sure that the casual basketball fan was aware. Only three men have been to more Final Fours than Roy Williams. John Wooden, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, and Dean Smith. That's it. And Roy Williams is next on that list. That's pretty remarkable, huh? It's I, I was on the train home and uh, kind of just doing a quick scroll through Twitter, and I saw that tweet, and I was like, it just kind of listen. I I've long considered Roy like truly just like one of the best coaches. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason and all that. But um, just kind of kind of seeing the stat there and the other the company that he keeps, and it's astounding and outstanding and uh i missed most of kentucky carolina in real time because i was writing the frank martin column but then they re-aired it late last night on cbs sports network so i stayed and watched a lot of it and kentucky's resilience in that game it was down i did not realize this because i didn't i think i looked up from my computer with about 30 seconds to go and it's it's a, it was a really cool thing in the msg press room like there's like, I don't know, 60 to 80 people in there, writers like just trying to grind out. And then but everyone kind of like just stops and we're all like standing watching the final 30 seconds. And but I didn't realize Carolina was down by like seven with 45 or Kentucky was down seven with like 45 to go. Like they really almost pulled off one heck of a of a final minute comeback and Monk had a couple of huge threes. And uh, I just listen, Memphis got it, it got a great regional as well. Between you know both Kentucky games and Kentucky kind of was interesting the entire way. Even their Northern Kentucky game had some some tension to it uh, at parts, but every game Kentucky played was uh, was close and interesting. And credit to those you know those players. The, the video went viral of of uh, Fox and Bam like crying in the locker room after. Like it's tough and it's a bit ironic in my opinion. Like the 2012 Kentucky team was the best team, uh, but the two best duos at Kentucky ever did not make a final four because you have cousins and wall and in my opinion monk and fox those are the two best duos Callis had uh both ended their careers in the elite eight as for carolina and roy doing well, this let's stop on kentucky okay. for a minute because I, okay, I, okay. I, I i tweeted this last night and like usually like with some of these big games, whether it was Frank Martin winning or Bill Self losing, like you tweet these, I just find these interesting facts that I think are, I, I don't know what they mean exactly, but they're like, they're just truthful sentences. And usually like uh, if, if you're going to, 
have uh, fans go crazy on you on Twitter, it's because you offer an opinion that they disagree with. Uh, this wasn't that. It was just like a two factual sentences. And the sentences were these. John Calipari now, he's been head coach of Kentucky for eight years. He's had seven preseason top four teams, which is kind of amazing. I mean, the idea that se- like seven out of the eight times he's been the Kentucky coach, his team has been ranked in the top four in the preseason. In those seven years, he's made the Final Four three times and missed the Final Four four times. I think the way I worded it was he's fallen short of the Final Four um, four times um, out of seven years in which he had a preseason top four team. And, whoa, boy, Kentucky fans took great offense to that. They was too sensitive. So sensitive. Uh, what do you make of that? What? Uh, forget what I draw from it. What do you draw from it? He's had a pre. Okay, uh, I'll give you all the important numbers. Eight years as a head coach, four Final Fours. That's incredible. Eight years as a head coach, seven years with a preseason top four team. In those seven years, made the Final Four three times, missed it four times. Had the preseason number one team twice. Um, has only won one national championship has probably had, I think you could reasonably say, the best roster in the country at least three different times. That's 2010, Wall, Cousins, Patterson, Bledsoe. 2012, Davis, Kid Gilchrist, the team, the, uh, the team that won the national championship. And then again in 2015, when he used the platoon, Carl Anthony Towns. Had the best roster in the country at least three times and won just one national championship. What do you make of all that? All right, I'll try and be quick with this um, because I saw that Clay Travis had tweeted out, and this is something that people have discussed, I think, more recently. And I think particularly it, it gained momentum when undefeated Kentucky didn't win it. Um, and that was a really good team as well. Uh, don't get me wrong. like I, I, I still find myself liking the 2012 roster more than the team that almost went undefeated. And I wonder if Kentucky fans would agree with me. Um, but Callis had a, a lot of really good teams, and the fact that he only has one title, despite I believe this is also true, he has sent twice as many people to the NBA draft than any other coach since he got to Kentucky. So when you factor that in, only one national title, quote only. Uh, if you want to start looking like is John Calipari an underachiever, I would say no. The answer, and you can tie this to Bill Self. You know, look at where he's been seated. Uh, look at what he's done in, in the grand scheme in terms of just getting to Final Fours. In more years than not, since Calipari's got to Kentucky, he has still made a Final Four. Ask Bill Self about how hard it is to get to a Final Four, okay? The tournament can just spit out randomness, and it's really hard to do year over year over year. Even just getting to the Elite Eight, in, in my opinion, as often as Calipari has done, is incredibly impressive. If you want to take into account the talent that he's had, I would say that he has done a terrific job because although these players are really, really good, there's still no guarantee that because you get elite-level talent that you're going to magically win three games in the NCAA tournament or play yourself to a two-seed or a one-seed. So with what he's done overall, I think he's been fantastic. I, I mean, it's really just, in my opinion, it's neck and neck. Since he got to Kentucky, it's him and it's him and Krzyzewski, neck and neck, who's been the best coach in college basketball, in my opinion. So I don't reject um, the idea that there's an element of letdown, but that's only because the expectations are so sky high. He has not been an underachiever. I, I just, it's, it's too, it's too simplistic in my opinion to say that because John Calipari has only won one title and by the, with Kentucky, and by the way, he could very easily 
have won two at this point in his career? And would we be having this discussion if, if Mario Chalmers doesn't hit a three-pointer or Derek Rose can hit a free throw? Um, or if they foul but I three get, in the final seconds. Right. Yeah, per, precisely. But I, I understand the conversation. If you want to have it in like a genuine way, like I get it. Like we can have that. But again, it, it's just it's so damn hard to win the NCAA tournament, people. So I, I don't hold this against Cal whatsoever. He is working at the highest level. He's a Hall of Famer with good reason. And this just serves as as a reminder of how difficult it is to win a national title. I agree with all of that. I, I like listen. I I. I I've said John Calipari is amazing so many times that people still think I'm the Memphis beat writer covering John Calipari. And so all I did was like point out something that's factual about his resume now. And it was like, oh, you hate John Calipari. I'm like, well, I don't hate John. I don't even think about John Calipari that much. Like, it's just like, it's just, he, he lost again, um, short of the final four, despite having a preseason top two team. You know, what does that mean? I'll let you guys figure it out. I didn't even offer an opinion on it. Um, but I, I will say that if you, and I don't even know if I if I necessarily believe this, because like I've said this a million times. If I had a basketball program and I could hire anybody in the country, I would hire John Calipari to run it. Um, but if you talk to some people, not all, some, they'll tell you that the what I'm referencing is a byproduct of when he gets matched up deep in the tournament with comparable talent. It, it's it's. You know, I guess obviously and by definition, it's more difficult, but that's where he runs into issues. He can beat you when he can overwhelm you. But when he runs into comparable talent, like, oh, okay, you got pros. Well, we got pros too. Um, oh, okay. You've got Carl Anthony Towns and, and Tyler Eulis. Well, we've got uh, Sam Decker and, and Frank Kaminsky. Like when he runs into to comparable talent, that's where he, that's where his dominance starts to taper off a little bit. You buy into that at all? Kind of, but I mean, listen. Um, they did beat UCLA, and sure. they have beaten good teams. I mean, and they have they have beaten good teams as well. Um, I agree. I they, agree. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, and Kentucky fans defending, like I get it. Like they're the most tribal in college basketball, and they are, you know, just loyal, just to the utmost degree when it comes to Cal. And I get that. And and the and the other thing is like one guy told me to 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 s one thousand devil d's. Not even normal D's, like human D's. He wanted me to, to S a 1,000 <laughs> devil D's. I was like, that's... Uh, and Kentucky fans also got to get over this idea that the media is against their program and against their coach. This conversation alone and dozens we've had over the years, pieces we've written, uh, that program and Calipari has gotten plenty of due. And, uh, you know, merely because, you know, some might want to bring up the fact that he only has one title might be uh, an indication of underachievement there. There's plenty of evidence to the contrary. So the persecution complex has got to be eliminated with Kentucky fans as well because it, it, it's not something based in reality. No, I mean, they really do. Not all of them. I hate to paint with a broad brush, but a lot of them. Yes, and oh, I don't mean to do that either, but yeah. there is a, a heavy contingent. That, like, it's that, not just like, like occasionally. They, like, it's, it's an army. Yeah, that they think the whole world's out to get them. The NCAA committees, selection committees out to get them. Like, you know, they, they, that's one of the things. Well, you know, if... If the committee wouldn't have gave them an impossible path, like what does that even like? You know, like I, I can't imagine there's a scenario where the selection committee is in that room going, "All right, um, let's get this thing finalized." And remember, we have to screw Kentucky. Like you know, it just right. uh, it just doesn't work like that. But uh, whatever, they'll be preseason top four next year, and we'll see. I assume, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes for them. Uh, while we're on this sort of topic, 
you mentioned Bill Self. Let's talk about Bill Self. I tweeted this after they lost on Saturday night. Bill Self is a future Hall of Famer. He's also 2-7 and seven in Elite Eight games. He's been a one seed seven times. He's only made the Final Four one time in those seven years. That's not good. I mean, that's like... It, it does, like again, if I had a basketball program and I couldn't get John Calipari to run it, I'd probably want Bill Self to run it. But those aren't those aren't good numbers, and it is something that uh, if people wanted to bang on Bill before this NCAA tournament, that's what they used. Great regular season coach, but when it's time to get it, you know, when it's time to win the thing, um, he falls short more often than not. Um, and now that's just been reinforced with a. Uh, pretty convincing loss to Oregon in Kansas City, 39 miles from Kansas's campus, and they got dominated by a shorthanded Oregon team. And so, like I said, Bill Self's now two and seven in Elite Eight games. Two of those losses came, you know, before Kansas, one at Tulsa, one at Illinois. But either way, as a head coach, two and seven in Elite Eight games, been a one seed seven times, and only made the Final Four once in those seven years. That's uh that's going to be a hard label to shake for him. It is. Now, I, I find it very interesting and fascinating that this conversation dovetails with the 2008 National Championship because the coaches we are talking about faced off in that game. And so Self's reputation, and if you want to use the word legacy, go ahead, uh, is certainly bolstered by the fact that he has that national title because if he doesn't, then this is something that is, uh, I mean, I would have been so sick about writing about the fact that Bill Self is the greatest coach without a national title. <laughs> like, thank God. We have that uh, off the table, but I don't have the numbers here in front of me. Let me just kind of speculate out loud here. How many coaches have been to as many elite eights over the past 15 years as Bill Self? Again, getting to that point in the tournament is not a given no matter what your seed is. Okay, we have number one seeds. Listen, 21 of the past 22 years, a number one seed has at least one number one seed has not made it to the Sweet 16 in, in a given year. Okay, so that fact alone, which is just insane to me uh, or a top two seed i'm sorry a top two a number one or a number two seed 21 of the past 22 years one of those eight teams every tournament you don't get you don't get all eight at least one loses and many times more than one this year we had three with duke louisville and nova so yeah it's frustrating and in all of but one of those games since self has been at Kansas, he has been the favorite because obviously Kansas is amazing every year. They get to the tournament. They've now set the record for most consecutive seasons making the NCAA tournament. I think it will be 30 next year, which will obviously almost definitely happen. So I get it. And this one in particular is is a huge sting because it's in Kansas City and Kansas looked like the best freaking team in the tournament up until they went against Oregon. Uh, which is why, again, I do not buy into the concept of momentum on a game-to-game basis. I just don't think that there's any evidence to suggest that it truly exists. Um, but if you're on a team and you're winning and you think it's it's happening, then by all means, whatever you need to help uh, keep the thing going, because I'm sure South Carolina thinks it's got massive momentum right now. Um, we'll see how that momentum uh, exists or doesn't when they have to play Gonzaga, the best defense in the country. Um, with Self... I, I really have no bad things to say. Like Kansas fans want to be frustrated. I get it because you just have this dominant program and you feel like you should be at two or three national championships at this point with self, given the talent you've had and how you've run your league and you just continually get one, one and two seeds. But I'm giving credit to Oregon. My God, Jordan Bell is a mutant. 
Tyler Dorsey has been the second best player in this tournament to Sundarius Thornwell, and that's what makes Oregon scary is that Dylan Brooks was the Pac-12 player of the year, and he has been a distant third best player for Oregon in this tournament. So you wonder if he's got a huge moment awaiting on Saturday against Carolina. Uh, with Kansas, wait another year. You'll probably get a one or two or three seed next season, and perhaps you'll break through. The tournament is just a fickle beast. I know it's super frustrating for KU fans because this was a great team with the player of the year, in my opinion, Frank Mason, a top two freshman in Josh Jackson, and you just don't get there. And you just go cold. Like Devontae Graham, it just was not his night. He was putting them up. They were not falling. And Jordan Bell's defense just had them taking bad shots. It was, uh, it was bizarre to see because no one looked better. And if yourself, yeah, it's starting to get a little complicated because you're so good everywhere except March if you look at it in the grand scheme. But again, name me how many coaches in the past 15 years have made as many elite eights as self. I don't think it would be more than three. Right. I mean, that's sort of where the way your season ends overshadows like uh, some amazing accomplishments. Like if I told you, uh, yeah, he's been a nine elite eights. Like you'd go, that's amazing, right? Like, whoa, that's a great coach. But when you're two and seven in those games, it's like people forget how amazing it is to get to the elite eight. Um, they only focus on how many times you lost in, in the Elite Eight. And if I told you uh, Bill Self has coached teams over a four-month span that have seven different times uh, earned a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, you would say, that's that's unbelievable. My God, he, he must be one of the best of all time. And then I tell you, yeah, but only one of those teams has actually um, you know, won a national championship. You would go... Um, oh, well, that's what happens. You know, it's, it's just sort of you can lose track of how amazing the accomplishments are because of the way it ends. And it's just something, you know, Dana Jacobson asked him about it at the, you know, in, in the post game, you know, CBS televised uh, interview. You know, basically said, you know, it's here we are again having this conversation in this spot. Is there something to it? And Bill sort of, you know, talked about around it and rambled, but did uh, eventually acknowledge maybe there is something to it. You know, maybe there is something to it. Because if you remember the day before the game, he said um, he said that he thinks the Elite Eight game is the hardest game in the NCAA tournament. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it has certainly been the hardest game in the NCAA tournament for, for him. Interesting. By the way, that's that's an interesting point. And yeah, the, uh, the two-day turnaround, people have talked a little bit about that before they played Michigan State because Izzo is so good on a two-day turnaround historically and self is you know, barely above 500. Um, I can see in, in many ways why the Elite Eight, from a pressure standpoint, because like once you get to the Final Four, obviously you want to win, and the teams are really good. But you're at you've like you've hit the Final Four, like you've gotten there. There's something just like you want to win the title, but it's such a massive event that it almost feels like its own mini title in a way. And that's why I love the tournament because it's got these four regions. You break out, you get you celebrate as if you won a title, and and, and as you should. Um, it's just a cool way that the tournament is set up. I want to give CJ more credit here because I'm reading Twitter as we're recording this, and I am not surprised by this. Um, Self is a better tournament win percentage than Bob Knight, Adolph Rupp, John Thompson, Jim Beheim, Jerry Tarkanian, uh, uh, Hank Iba, and if he if he plays to his average, if Kansas is good next year and they make the Elite Eight, which he does so often, he'll have a better all-time tournament win percentage than Dean Smith. So let's just keep that kind of stuff in perspective here. Um, I know Final Fours and national titles right. are the ultimate end goal for Kansas fans, but you're you would take this like if you're a Kansas fan, how about this? 
Would you take at this point in the, in the career, would you take two national titles at Kansas, but three more first round exits? Or would you take all, you know, for like as a one seed or a two seed, like just, get, you know, more Bucknells, you know, more, the, more of those losses? Or would you take these runs to the Elite Eight? I would, I would probably have, I would probably want more success because it, it would be really frustrating to be really good and then just be known as like the other Georgetown that just gets to the tournament as a, as a high seed and keeps getting knocked off by double digit seeds. Yeah. I mean, th- listen, those, those hypotheticals are always difficult to answer. Um, I, I, I guess it comes down to if you're a Kansas fan, you love being consistently awesome. Rank number one in the country, winning Big 12 titles, um, you know, getting one seeds in the NCAA tournament. But when you don't do with them what you are supposed to do with them, um, it becomes just, you know, disappointing. I should restate what I said earlier. Um, it's not that he's been a one seed seven times and, and, and only once has that team has a one seed coached by Bill Self won the national championship. Only once has a one seed coached by Bill Self actually made the final four. I mean, that like I saw somebody tweet this earlier today. On average, 45% of one seeds make the, make the final four. That's what history tells us. If you're a one seed, you got a 45% chance of getting there. And and Bill's one of seven with a one seed of getting to the final four. Like that's 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 way below average. And that's where that's the root of the frustration is okay, he's great. We know he's great, but why is it when we get a one seed, can we not do what history says one seeds are supposed to do? Why are we so below average? And maybe it's just bad luck. You know, it could just come down to that. But either way, uh, that's the root of the frustration. And I wasn't surprised that um, opposing fans uh, started tweeting anti-Bill Self stuff. Do you see the Lawrence Police Department? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just, <laughs> listen, there's got to be uh, – first of all, I love the tweet. But, like, law, like I kind of dig the fact that law enforcement occasionally, like, drifts into the sports world and gets a little snarky like this. But at the same time, you're like, you're a official account for a police department. But it was, <laughs> it was some serious, it was some serious shade. And given Kansas's issues off the floor, uh, I have to believe that whomever sent that tweet was very aware of the fact that a few KU guys have just been in trouble with the law this season, and it was like, "Eff it, we're sending this." <laughs> yeah, for people who didn't see it, uh, from the official. A verified Lawrence Police Department Twitter account. Uh, somebody sent a tweet that basically said, "Well, hey, at least we've got a lot of experience of dealing with Elite Eight losses. <laughs> you know, uh, dealing with fa- angry fans after Elite Eight losses. Exactly. There's something along those lines. So yeah, it was. Uh, it got retweeted a billion times, as you would uh, expect. What else have we uh, not talked about? Gonzaga. We really haven't. Uh, well, I mean, think, yeah, think, I mean, Gonzaga and then. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we didn't really hit on Carolina and Luke May's shot, but um, but that's basically it. I mean, just an, am- just an amazing sequence there. I mean, like Monk hits that big shot, then, uh, you know, Carolina, like, have you seen the videos from the bars of the Kentucky fans? Yes. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's the best moment ever, and then you forget the seven seconds still left. Should John Calipari have called, oh. a, should John Calipari have called a timeout? Um, Who did call a timeout this weekend? What when did that happen? Hold on. Uh, I kind of think he should have. This also happened somewhere else, some game. And Twitter's so good at this. There was a game where the coach called a timeout after a made basket. Ah, it might have been even one of the games I was at. But 
It wasn't Florida because they because they had free throws and White had told them what to do. Right. Anyway, um, I'm inclined to think that he should have called time out there. Just call, just had- just calm everybody down and say, okay, listen, we are not in overtime yet because it, yeah, it, it's a frantic moment. Right. Parish. Right. Right. They were, yeah, I mean, you hit this amazing shot. And just, like, look at the Kentucky fans on those videos. They're all jumping up and down as if, oh, wow, we're going to overtime. Nope, here comes Luke May in your eye. And so, listen, it's it's very easy to be a Monday morning quarterback when it comes to this stuff. Um, You know, like, I I think there was a debate we had on CBS Sports Network over the weekend about whether Wisconsin should have missed the second free throw to not allow Florida to inbound the ball. And I still think no. I, th- I think you make it and then, you know, because if you miss intentionally, and like Chioza's super fast. and, and only up, You're only up one. And, and yeah. it, he caught that ball um, about where you would catch a rebound anyway. Like he caught the inbounds about where you would catch a, grab a rebound anyway. And he had some momentum going, so whatever. But like if you miss intentionally and then he flies down the court and gets a layup at the buzzer to beat you, I mean, you'll never live that down. I think you make the free throw, and if you can make an amazing running floater of a three-pointer, then you just let him do it. Um, But the other one sort of from yesterday, I think this has been less debated, um, or or maybe not. But should should Cal, after Malik Monk makes that shot to tie the game, call the timeout, set his defense, and just remind everybody we're we're not in overtime yet. We've got to get one more stop because uh, literally while Kentucky fans were still jumping up and down celebrating Monk's shot, uh, Luke made it into the game. Yeah, and it, you know, Luke May, who's got uh, you know bed pillows for eyebrows. I mean, this dude has one heck of a. I mean, he looks like a a a B level movie villain. Like uh, he's got a he's got a vibe about him, man. That's just absolutely awesome. Um, and great by Pinson to kind of lure in the D there, casually kick it out. And May is just money from that distance. I mean, he was like a foot inside the three-point line, and just like an awesome all-time tournament sequence. Like that was that was a really great Elite Eight game. Um, and you know, two blue bloods give us something so rewarding. And for Carolina to get here, you know, get through a tough region, um, could have been beaten by Arkansas, um, and then could have you know could have almost slipped up against Kentucky. Um, again, Roy getting to the Final Four all these times. Will be interesting to see how heavy the and we'll get more into Final Four preview stuff in Wednesday because obviously we have plenty of time and more podcasts before we get to the games. But how much you'll hear about redemption for Carolina and all that? Uh, you know they lost at the last second last year. Now they get back and all that stuff. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I I think this team is is interesting on its own. That that storyline doesn't necessarily like it's not the most interesting aspect about the Final Four to me. I find Gonzaga making it more interesting. GP. Um, just because this has just been such a long time coming, and they got there with a hammer. I mean, they there was just no doubt about it. They they outplayed Xavier. They look like what they have been rated, and that is the best team in college basketball. This is the number one defense, and Jonathan Williams looked fantastic. So uh, Mark Few has earned this, and I, I in my column I gave a, like credit to Tommy Lloyd as well. Tommy's shout out to Tommy Lloyd, who's a massive Beck fan, and. Like just he's been there a long time, too. And there are people in that program that have just that have really good perspective that haven't overreacted in past years when people have flipped out over Gonzaga losing a tournament game. And this team has has deserved it and earned it. And it's uh, it's just again, I I think this is it's a final four 
basically almost no one predicted. And I, th- I think it's great. I-, I love the unpredictability of it. I think there's plenty of interesting things about this. Even if South Carolina doesn't have mainstream appeal, I think Frank Martin alone uh, it brings that sort of casual person into the conversation because it's Frank Martin. And Gonzaga's Gonzaga. And Oregon, I mean, the appeal of Oregon. Yeah, this is very bad for the television networks. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you it, got Carolina yeah, there. It, it I mean, is. North Carolina, North Carolina, Gonzaga would get a very good rating in the title game, in my opinion. I think a lot of people would want to see Gonzaga, see if they could do it, and Carolina's Carolina. But obviously, you'd rather have Duke or Nova. You'd have rather had Kansas come out or Louisville. I get that. Carolina, no matter who you had come out of that region, is what it is. Gonzaga and Arizona, to me, is actually basically a trade-off because I think enough people are, are intrigued by yeah. or will hate watch Gonzaga. I think North Carolina and Gonzaga are big enough brands that – um, you know, there's not a huge fan base for Gonzaga, but like it's a national brand and has been for a while. The idea that they're not only in the final four for the first time, but they're trying to win their first national championship and are technically the favorite to do it uh, out in Las Vegas. I, all of that's a good story. North Carolina Gonzaga being in, in Phoenix is is fine for the networks, if not great for the networks. Um, and I mean this with all due respect. I'm just speaking strictly from a television viewership perspective. Uh, South Carolina is a killer and Oregon is a killer. People people don't aren't people aren't familiar with those teams. They aren't familiar with the coaches. Uh, Frank is 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 becoming a star because he's handled the press conferences so well, uh, particularly with the moment with the the the, the uh, young reporter from Sports Illustrated for kids. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, uh, trust me, the, the television networks would much rather have Duke representing the East as opposed uh, to South Carolina. But it is interesting that on the Monday after. Gonzaga finally makes the Final Four for the first time. It's like not even the story. Like it's not even the craziest thing that happened. Like Oregon winning in Kansas City is crazier. And um, and obviously South Carolina getting there is is crazier. I did ask Todd Furman, our buddy, um, who's a former bookmaker, um, said that if North Carolina and Gonzaga play Monday night, which is the way it's supposed to be, by the way, uh, they're both favored in their national semifinal games, that it would basically be a pick 'em. Like there might the the line might move based on public perception. Basically, what Todd said is like, if North Carolina comes out and just destroys um, Oregon and Gonzaga struggles against South Carolina, then North Carolina might be a one point favorite or something. But it, we're basically headed for if the teams that are supposed to win win Saturday, we're headed for a national championship game that's basically a pick 'em, which is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I'm all for. I mean, from a coverage standpoint. Uh, I I really I'll be honest like there's nothing that would uh, not intrigue me from a I got to write about this standpoint no matter how the title game shapes up because I mean South Carolina in a title game is mind blowing to me um, but uh, Gonzaga would be the most interesting thing to write about um, Gonzaga Carolina would you know that would be uh, that would be plenty interesting um, real quick before we wrap up GP we obviously got to talk about the biggest off court news of the weekend with the hiring of Archie Miller to Indiana. I figured it was going this direction when Steve Alford late Friday night. Yes. After UCLA was eliminated from the NCAA tournament, said he is 100% not going to be the head coach at Indiana. And he was phrasing it as if, like, UCLA's great. We got the second rank recruiting class in America coming in. I love LA. Like, I'm just not – he made it like, I'm not going to Indiana – because I'm the head coach at UCLA. In reality, he knew he wasn't getting the Indiana job. Because Absolutely. 
that. Yes. Well, he it, could have said those words uh, it, a week prior, and yep. he never did. And he never did. The reason is because he found out at some point, you know, Thursday, Friday, that Indiana's going in another direction. And so when he came out and said what he said um, late Friday night, I actually told somebody, like, Indiana's got their guy. And I knew at that point it wasn't Greg Marshall, if only because I'd spent the, those two days with Greg Marshall. He was in studio with me for, like, all uh, the— Quick oh. side note, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, as I'm watching the Florida game with a minute to go, I'm like just kind of scanning the arena. Yeah, he was there. And I look across, and I'm like, it was almost like that. Uh, it was like that uh, something about Mary moment. I go, what the hell's Greg Marshall doing here? Because <laughs> he was like second row, kind of behind the the uh, the officials table or whatnot. And then I'm like in the middle of reporting in the hallway after, and I bump into him, and he was he was so first of all he was like hanging out with. Katie Holmes and all these people. <laughs> he was he was with his daughter. Yeah, Maggie. Uh, Shout out to Maggie. So, dude, he was so amped on that game. He was like, "How great was this?" And he was just he was thrilled to be in the building to watch that. Um, but yeah, generally, I when I saw him and this all happened, I was like, "It's not going to be Greg," just because it, like it just what it, I was just I was like, I doubt Marshall's on the table. So it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking that when I like right after I saw him, right. I bumped into him. He was just so amped off the game. So I figured, yeah, he's he's now, probably not going to. Yeah, no, he was. Uh, he came up and worked two days with us uh, at CBS Sports Network. Uh, brought his daughter up, uh, Maggie Marshall. Shout out to Maggie Marshall. Um, and uh, he was great, by the way. Like he knows. Uh, like, I don't know if, if 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 fans know this or not, but like basketball coaches really don't know that much about what's going on around the country. They know their leagues really well, and obviously their own teams. And teams that were on their schedule, but like they don't have time to watch basketball the way you watch basketball, or the way I watch basketball, or the way John Rostein watches basketball. Um, so like a lot of times we'll get coaches in studio, and you'll, you know, but before we go on air, we're going through stuff, and they're like, now who is the best player at this team for this team, or uh, who did they beat this year? Like they really don't know. Greg, Greg, like had a, a very good, um, you know. Uh, understanding of, of of the country as it relates to college basketball like he knew the teams he knew the players he knew their resumes he watches a lot of college basketball which i thought is un, it, it's unusual for um for a high major coach uh, because they're just, it is they're, they're so consumed with their own thing they really like an sec coach has no idea what's going on in the pac-12 um, correct frank martin frank martin literally said he had not seen wisconsin dribble a ball until he had to scout for that Right. For that game after South Carolina right. beat Baylor, and so Greg knew all of this stuff. Like he was he, he, among the best, if not the best, we've ever had in studio of just of of being able to intelligently talk about teams that he hasn't played against that um, that aren't in his league, that aren't even in his part of the country. Like he he would start a lot of comments by saying, you know, so I was watching them play this game, or I was watching them this one night, or I was watching them last week. Um, he really watches a lot of basketball, like loves watching the sport, and. Like he was excited, like genuinely excited to go to the garden. He was like, "Can I? Am I going to get out of here in time to be able to go to the games? Like, I want to go to the games. I want to get some tickets. Like, he really wanted to just go watch basketball, and so that was interesting too. Like, he was genuinely, obviously, he would prefer to have been in Memphis coaching, um, but he was uh, he was really amped to go to the garden. So that's cool that you bumped into him. But I, but yeah, back was, back to the back to the point about yeah, but back to Archie. And, yeah, yeah. I, it's so just, I, it's, it was, so that, I knew yeah. I knew somebody was coming because uh, Alfred had already been told that it's not him. And I, I knew it wasn't Greg, and I had a I, I was pretty sure it wasn't Chris Mack because like he was still coaching at the time, and they wouldn't have got that done before Mack's season was over. 
And then I was I was fairly certain it wasn't Holtman. So like I assumed when I went to bed Friday night, I assumed that Archie was going to be the next head coach at Indiana. And listen, Indiana is not one of those jobs where I think there's one guy perfect for the job. Like I think Greg Marshall would be great at Indiana. I think Chris Holtman would be great at Indiana. I think Chris Mack would be great at Indiana. But I also think Archie Miller will be great at Indiana. Like I I think there's probably four or five guys that you could have reasonably got, all of whom would have I would have called home run hires, and Archie is is one of those. I think. Uh, I, I think Saturday uh, was a good day for, for Indiana basketball. Yeah, uh, I do too. I think Archie will thrive there. He is, you know, Indiana fans are obviously very aware of Archie Miller. They've been basically researching this guy for three years at this point because they were rooting for him on the shortlist to be the next coach. Um, there's a lot of pressure there, without a doubt. I think Archie will handle that. Um, Archie is also, listen, he's a really good recruiter. He's a really good coach. Um, I am, but I am interested to just see how he handles it. Um, because you don't know it until you're in it. So, uh, I think that he'll do well and that he should be able to thrive there. But again, it's just, listen, the Dayton has a tremendous fan base for Like that is really an all time underrated fan base, but Indiana is a totally different universe. And let's just see how it goes for the first 12 to 18 months of him just living in existence as the Indiana coach and what that brings on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but Archie is is very, I mean, his, his heels are on the ground. He's he's super balanced. I think that this is the really nice, I, I'm way in on this hire. I, I don't think that I, like Mac going there would have also worked. Uh, I think Greg going there would have also worked. I don't, between the three, I don't think I could tell you which one I would think would be the best. I would, I would put them all on pretty much the same level. I like them all better than Alfred, uh, potentially. So, if you're Indiana, you're just you're feeling revived. The goal obviously is you know compete for Final Fours on an annual basis. It, it is it is my opinion that Archie Miller will have Indiana operating at that kind of a level within three seasons um, and maybe sooner, but three is a, is a reasonable expectation. Just competing for Final Fours, and I would I would define that as having a consensus top fifteen team in the country. And that should be coming. Huge news. And so now the, the biggest opening in college basketball this offseason is now closed. And uh, we, w- we wait to see who Dayton will hire. And we wait to see who Georgetown will hire. Real quick, GP did a, made a few texts and whatnot. And had, a, had two people tell me, you know, a couple names. And, and both of them had brought up like, well, I, I kind of figure maybe Pat Kelsey will be in the mix. And I said, uh, he better not be because it would be an absolute. He cannot take. The, the irony is if Pat Kelsey had never been. Uh, brought up for the UMass job, he would be a great fit at Dayton. Knows the area well. I think he could handle that job. But the fact of the matter is, despite what we talked about in the UMass roster situation and all that stuff behind the scenes, Pat Kelsey publicly said that it was personal reasons that he was not taking the UMass job. He cannot say that, go back to Winthrop, and then be a logistical, reasonable candidate for Dayton. It would be an absolutely terrible, all-time awful look. So I don't know if he's on Dayton's list or not. He would be a good coach there. I firmly believe it. But the, you can't, in my opinion, you can't take that job, especially after Winthrop has officially taken you in. So it will be interesting to see who Dayton hires in the coming in the coming days or weeks because that is also, you know, that's a top two job in that league and a really good program. Uh, let me be, I would, if I were Pat Kelsey and Dayton wanted me, I'd be the next head coach at Dayton. Like, you know, I know but that, you get what I'm saying though, right? Yeah. But that stuff, it, yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. It would be a bad look and people at UMass would hate him and people at Winthrop would hate him. And it's in the league. Like 
it's the same. It's it's not even like he's going. He'd be he'd be coaching a Dayton in the league. Like it, I don't know. I just I, I had a buddy one time. Odd. I had a buddy one time who had basically agreed to a job, um, with an with a company. It was a high profile job. Like hadn't signed anything, but had told them I'm going to do this. And then another place swooped in like afterward and said, hold, 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 hold up. We can give you this, 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 more money, more everything. And he called me and he said, what should, like, what do I do? I've already agreed to take this job at this other place. Like, it's not even like I, I'm, I've told them, give me, like, I told them at lunch today, I'm your guy. Yes, let's do this. They're ready to announce it any moment. What do I do? And I was like, it's going to be one hard phone call that you'll have to make. And, and then you'll be in the job that you want to be in anyway. Or you can say, nope, I, I told them I'm coming. I, it's too late now. And every day you wake up for the next however many years, you're going to regret it and wonder why you didn't, you didn't just take the better job for more money. So like, just make the one hard phone call and then it'll be fine. And that's exactly what he did. He made the one hard phone call and then everything was fine. And so for Pat, it's a little more complicated because, um, yeah, UMass fans would hate you for, you have a fan base hating you and a fan base calling you names, but you know what? Yeah. I think everybody gets over that at some point, or at least you can, if, if Dayton wanted me, I'd be the next head coach of Dayton if I were Pat Kelsey. But, um, if, but if I were UMass, I would hold him to every penny of that buyout. He would owe me a million dollars and, and I, and I would sue him forever, uh, until it got, until it got settled. There's no way I would just let him out of it because, eh, you know, he made a he made a quick decision and uh, regretted it afterward. Because whether it was true or not, I would think, or I would at least convince myself that Pat Kelsey didn't really have personal issues. He knew that Dayton was about to open, and that's why he pulled out on us. And I would. Uh, because like that, oh, there are some people who think that right now. By the way, I know it's uh, it's reasonable to connect those dots. Yeah, totally. and I, I mean, I cannot speak to whether that's true or not, but I can speak to like I, it's it's not, uh, it's not uh, it's not a crazy idea, and so if I were UMass, I would sue him like crazy to get the one million dollar buyout. But if I were Pat and Dayton wanted me, I'd be the next head coach of Dayton. Like ultimately, this is all about your career, and. Dayton is a great job. I mean, it is a great job. It's why they kept Archie as long as they did. It's why Archie would not have turned down, I mean, would not have gone to NC State. He would have stayed at Dayton before he went to NC State. I I don't think he'd only stayed at Dayton or only turned down NC State because he knew Indiana was going to open. I think he was happy to stay at Dayton instead of go to NC State. That's how good of a job Dayton is. Um, and if I'm Pat Kelsey and I can get that job, I take it. But yeah, it would be a bad look. But it, but it'd be like a bazillion more dollars and a much better opportunity to win consistently. So you do it, I think. All right. Um, let's. Uh, but I'm, let's I might. But to... I, I might like morals though. I know. I dig it. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's try and uh, be true to the listeners here because we do try and get the podcast to you as soon as possible. But uh, you know, travel, work, all that stuff gets in the way. So sorry that we couldn't get this up earlier on a Monday. Now, GP, I leave for the for Phoenix Wednesday morning. So and I'm guessing that you leave later. So we have two options here. We either record Tuesday night and publish like in that and on that podcast, we can basically more look ahead to the final four games if you want and whatnot. Or we simply play it by ear and wait until we can both do do a podcast on Wednesday. What's what's your feel on what you want to do? Well, I'm, I'm actually not going to Phoenix till Thursday. 
Um, okay. I usually go on Wednesday, and when the network was booking my stuff, everybody else was going on Thursday. Like, I don't think we start broadcasting from Phoenix until Friday uh, for the open practices. So everybody else was going on Thursday, and we are staying at, like, the most amazing resort. All right, GP, take the, it down. All right, the, yeah, you got the best hotel accommodations. You can't slum it with me at the courtyard. That, I get it. That's not I, my point. My point was this. I think it is, actually. Okay, my point was to to let make sure you're well aware that while you're at the courtyard, we're staying at an unbelievable resort and spa about 30 minutes outside of downtown Phoenix. Uh, but my second point was that uh, once they told me everybody's going on Thursday, I didn't want to be the guy who says, well, I go on Wednesdays. You're just going to have to give me another night of that $700 a night hotel. Like I was like, eh, if everybody else is going on Thursday, I better just go on Thursday. So I won't get there till Thursday. So I'll be home Wednesday. I can record a podcast whatever time you want to record a podcast when you land and get settled in. All right, we'll do that. Uh, I'm going to go visit. Uh, and we'll talk uh, a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about my resort on uh, that one on that podcast. Well, we won't because you won't be there. So, um, but maybe on the next one, maybe we go to that spot and that's where we do an in-person three-man podcast with Devin Downey. We I mean, bring De- we bring Devin Downey to my resort. We all get into a jacuzzi together. Okay, I'm down with it. We t- we talk about Winthrop. We talk about Chester, South Carolina. We talk about how we're going to move there. We're talking about and how we're going to move to Chester, South Carolina, and 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 work at Winthrop and raise little Devin Downey babies. Yep, and he doesn't feel awkward about it whatsoever. No. Um, While we're sitting in the jacuzzi, uh, sipping, we'll we'll get uh we'll get boat drinks, you know, like with some fruit and stuff in it. It's going to be warm out there, you know. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really warm. Uh, but no, all right. That's uh, that's a plan. So well, yeah, we'll do what I'm, we'll we'll do this Wednesday. I'll uh, we'll, we'll do it at some point, probably afternoon, because again, time difference, long flight out there. So uh, for listeners, I would say expect the podcast between anywhere between four and seven Eastern on Wednesday. We'll get it to you. Remember, I have a radio show, dummy. Oh my goodness! We have yeah. to schedule around the radio show. Do. Did I tell you about my radio <laughs> maybe, show? It might be Wednesday night then, because it, it just depends. Or maybe before. I don't know. We'll, we'll hey, figure it out. Hey, but, uh, hey, we'll tweet and let you know, okay? And if I can come up with any more yeah. uh, uh, interesting uh, facts to make John Calipari look like an underachiever, I'll make sure to tweet those as well. I'm still not over not seeing Paul McCartney. This is just... Dude. It's just like I was right... Like, literally, if I had not walked at a hurried pace to get a damn chocolate chip cookie, which, by the way... They didn't even have them. They had crap oatmeal raisin, and they always have like three times as many. It's a serious problem. I would have. Uh, you missed out. I would have seen Macca. I just. I, what if Paul what? McCartney would have walked into the garden with Devin Downey? Think about that for a second. What? Uh, Think about that for a second. I would have combusted on the spot, dude. <laughs> I mean, dude, are you out of your mind? Do you know how excited I would have been? As excited as the time I saw the the, the Wiggles and de- walking around downtown Memphis. You know, if Paul McCartney and Devin Downey had come together, I would have not even been able to handle it. Jesus. I, I, I don't, I don't even know. I, don't, I just, I don't even know either. And by the way, if we if we find Devin Downey in Arizona, he's one hundred percent going out with us. We're not just trying to sit down and do a podcast. We're trying to we're trying to go bar hopping in Scottsdale with Devin Downey, right? It's gotta happen. It's gotta. I feel like absolutely. I feel like it's gotta happen. Remember. You can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Best way to get your hands on the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you for listening. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Paul McCartney. 
Shout out to Ringo, too. Uh, you know, like while we're on the subject of the Beatles. And uh, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Bye-bye.